Hey, we're in a series called This Is Your Best Summer Ever, so if you're uh, joining us for this series online, we want to say a big word of welcome to you also. It's awesome that you're able to follow along, even if you're not able to be here. We welcome you in our midst as well, and I know just God is going to do an awesome work of freedom today in our lives. Are you expecting for a breakthrough in your relationship with Jesus? Because that's what I'm hitting at today. That's what I'm aiming towards. And um, I want to talk about the subject of being unchained yet being hooked. And what we're going to see is that the gospel unchains us from religion and sin, and it hooks us onto Jesus, which is a far greater existence, a far more desirable position, disposition to be in. But I want to ask you, have you ever missed out on something because you had the wrong information? All right, give me see some hands. Missed out on something because you had the... How many of you showed up to a wedding and it was the wrong venue? <laughs> or the wrong time? <laughs> that sucks, right? <laughs> like, you pitch up and everybody's always ha already having food. And, you know, it's just the final photo's been taken. You missed the whole job because you ended up going to the wrong place. Somebody fed you wrong information. Or you didn't read your update on Facebook. Because of, yeah, weddings get organized through Facebook. It's incredible. How many of you showed up to a class or an exam or an interview late because you had the wrong info? Let me see some hands. All right. Some people missed some tests. I once almost missed a test because I showed up an hour late to a two-hour paper, so I had to rush through it in an hour, which I did, and I passed, Amen. but by the grace of God. <laughs> hey, even worse, how many of you have worked on a project only to get to the end and you realize you had the wrong instructions? Yeah, and you're like, all the work was for nothing. Man, that just, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't give him a job. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, how many of you have um, found that, that you worked on a solution to something that has already been solved? Finding out that you spend a whole lot of time and energy working on something that was completely unnecessary. Yeah, that is not nice, isn't it? Is it? It's, it's like, man, I could have been having my best summer ever, and yeah, I was trying to figure out things, doing things, and now I have to redo it, or I have to just let go of everything that I've done because it's just like all for nothing. You know what I find is that often we're in that same place spiritually. Jesus made a way for us to live our best summer ever, and we're out there somewhere trying to work out how to get myself right with God. I'm out there trying to how to get, you know, in God's good books. And I'm working to find a solution that has already been achieved. It's a big word right there. I'm talking about Christians that are stuck in a religious works mentality when Christ had already given us grace to set us free from religion, overcome sin, and live in rest, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to live in rest, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Today's for you. Because I find often, even though we've understood salvation is by faith, uh, by, uh, by grace through faith, um, we fail to fully implement that in our lives, and we so often revert back to a system of merits and demerits, 
where I'm trying to be good enough for God to either get saved or to get my prayers answered or to feel close to God, have intimacy with the Lord. And so we, we're kind of stepping into, into two worlds where the one is one where I need to work on stuff and the other one is where work is done and I need to just, I just need to accept it, receive it and keep working with it. God has called us into the freedom business. I mean, our church, we say we want people to know God. We want people to find freedom so they can discover who they are and then make a difference, right? And uh, um, I want to read us a scripture from Romans 6 that speaks about this transition, this moving over from the one to the other. And it says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The good news today is that the gospel sets us free from religion. It unchains us from religion and it hooks us onto Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it's by grace that you have been saved, through faith, This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. Have you experienced an environment where you kind of feel some people are boasting about their Christianity? They're boasting about their relationship with God? Have you felt inferior to that before? Have you felt that you've kind of judged people who looks a little bit, you know, more sorted out than you? I'm going to talk about some of these things because the outworking of a religious mindset is that we find ourselves in a never-ending, you know, those hamster wheels? A lot of activity, very little progress. We find ourselves in a rut where we continue to have a lot of activity in our relationship with God, but it's not really bringing us anywhere. We always feel like we have to continue to prove our goodness before God. So let's talk about the outworking of religion. Religion, we can kind of keep going. You know, give us the next slide. (coughs) Romans 11 verse 6 says the following. If this is gained by grace, then it cannot be on works. Because if it was on works, grace would no longer be grace. Grace by its very nature is sufficient. It's all encompassing. If it needs a little help, then it is no longer called grace. Then it is works again. Then it is performance again. So the system of religion produces in us a striving and a performance-driven mentality striving and performance. And it's because I have to do good works in order to outweigh my mistakes and all the things that I mess up in. And hopefully by the end of it all, I get to God and he goes like, all right, good, your good outweighed your bad, so you're welcome in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a merit demerit. How many of you have ever felt like this? You kind of had a fight with your wife or you've, you know, flipped on your employees or, you know, you came down on your children too hard and, and when, you, when you're going 
away, you, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, that sent me back so far with God. I'm going to have to do a whole lot to get right with him. Ever had that thought? Ever had this, the instance where you fell again into a sin that you have kind of been contending with? And you go to yourself, oh my goodness, God's not going to believe me if I'm saying I'm sorry. I better have to go and prove it to him first. I got to go and do some work, take some good stuff and implement it so that he knows and he can see that I am sorry for what I had done. Here's how it played out in my life. I would fall into something and then I would go like, <clears throat> I'm not going to go to God straight away. I'm first going to live like right. I'm going to resist. I'm going to get it right for about a week. And when I'm done a week, then I feel like maybe now God will take me serious if I go say I'm sorry because I've been saying sorry for so many times. How many of you have been in that? Am I talking to the right people here today? It's, it's the mindset that religion produces in us that says to us, grace isn't enough. We have to keep performing to give us access to God, to keep us right with God. Then good things become dead works before God. I think, man, I better please God, so I better go to church. I better pay my tithe and a little extra. I better show up at life group again. Or maybe I should take the pastor out to lunch. <laughs> That's the kicker. That's going to push me over. <laughs> Please take me out to lunch. I love lunch with you guys. But <laughs> it's not going to score you points with God, though. We so easily step back into a mindset that is brought to us by religion that says, I need to strive to stay right with God. I need to keep performing in order to stay right with God. But this is the same as the sacrifices that the Jews brought, of which the Bible declares that they just reminded the Jews of their sinfulness because those works could not take their sin away. How many of you have tried to go and read the Bible and then you feel condemned by the Bible even before you start reading it? You've tried to spend time with the Lord, but when you think of going, you go, oh my goodness, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. He doesn't want me to spend time with him. All right, let me just go and work on this a bit, clean myself up a little, and then I can go back to God and read the Bible and pray and worship. You know, this is one of the biggest reasons why people start drifting away from church. Once was passionate about God, but then a system of religion caught a hold of them, and it produced condemnation in their hearts that because they didn't let other people help them clear away that condemnation, eventually led them to believe that they're no longer good enough for God. And then you start seeing them drift away, drift away, drift away. The law produces death, but grace produces life. And we're in a system of grace and God wants a better existence for us, a better life for us. How many of you have felt that um, 
you needed to justify uh, yourself for doing certain, for, for staying in certain things and, 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 and taking certain actions. Um, when we start following this system of performance, competition sets in. And I start comparing myself with the people around me. So I start seeing a, a pecking order in church because I'm pitting my performance against that of other brothers and sisters around me. And I'm thinking, man, there's, a, there's, a, there's an order in this church. You know, there's the, there's the holier-than-thou bunch, you know. It's those, it's those gung-ho kind of people, you know. They're, they're just all in. I, and, and you're like, man, I can't be like that. I'm not worthy enough to be amongst those, you know. And then you think, like, I mean, there, there's the us bunch, you know. We're just kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky, going, going about our work, you know, trying to prove ourselves to the Lord and, 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 and staying, trying to stay faithful in it. You know, and then there's the, that's messed up, y'all bunch, over there that everybody goes like, oh, my God, how, how did they get here? Who invited that guy? Um, it makes us compare ourselves. It makes us look at one another, and we start judging one another based off of how our insecurity makes me feel when I interact with you. And so I avoid people. Because I haven't worked as hard as that guy. And so I don't want to be around that guy because he's reminding me of how sinful I am. He's reminding me of how unperfect I am. So I'm just rather going to avoid that person. You know what? I can't even really celebrate it when people have victory. I kind of resent it when others get prayers, answers, and, and, and I don't. And I'm not able to celebrate a breakthrough that somebody's having, like somebody says, man, I've been looking for a job, and man, I got a job. And there you are, and you're like, man, I haven't got a job yet. God must love him more than he loves me. <laughs> it's all things that a religious mindset makes us do, causes us to walk in. And if we don't learn to break free from that kind of thinking, we will never access the actual life that Jesus promised and that he died for. If you find yourself experiencing any of these things, if you, if you struggle to forget people's sin, how long do you remember things that people have done in this church? How long do you define them by things that they've done a year ago? Do you still view them like that even though a year has passed and possibly growth might have taken place in their lives? It's all things that religion makes us do because it's all about the performance. It's all about the competition. I need to prove myself and convince God that I'm good enough to get my prayers answered, get his favor, get his, um, get his protection. And it's in this system of religion that we eventually become so tired and so burnt out to try and do things right that it produces death in our relationships with God. And we don't know why all of a sudden we fell out of intimacy with the Lord. We don't know why all of a sudden I don't enjoy coming to church anymore. I don't want to be around, you know, life groups. Or I don't even really want to study my Bible anymore because I just feel so condemned by it. Jesus did not plan that for you and I. He did not die so that you and I can be stuck in a system that produces death in us. He died for a better thing. The second thing the gospel unchains us from is it unchains us from sin. 
By the way, when, when Peter, the apostle Peter, when he asked Jesus how his life and how his calling is going to compare to that of another disciple, Jesus told him, that's none of your business. You follow me. You just follow me. It does not concern you what I'm doing in another person's life. You follow me. You stay obedient to me. Look to me and run after me. The Bible unchains us from sin. That's the second point I want to make today. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall no longer dictate to you how you act, the decisions you make, how you look at yourself. It shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You know, the, the, the grace of God enables us to break free from every sin. All sorts of obvious sin, and also like the more non-obvious sins. We're going to talk about some of them today. But let's just think about obvious sins. Things like idolatry, adultery, things like, you know, sex before marriage, lusting with my eyes, uh, greed, stealing, coveting. The obvious things. The grace of God enables us to say no to those things. And you know what? We were stuck in sin to the point that we could not say no to it. You see, because the law gave sin power over us, we had no power to resist temptation. And so we were stuck in sin because we were under a law, under a religious um, mindset. But then God gave us grace. Now, grace is amazing. Grace not only forgives us of our sin, it literally removes the power of sin over us. In other words, we get the ability to actually overcome sin. That means there is no sin in your life that you do not have power to overcome. There is no addiction. There is no pattern. There is no character flaw that you cannot overcome because you've been given grace. In fact, we're going to talk about kind of more hidden-like sins and how that manifests is often we say, well, you know what? This is just kind of my cross that I have to bear. I'm never going to get over this one. You know, I am, you know I'm, just a, I, I'm just a direct person, and I just don't know how to hold back my words. Or, you know, I'm just stuck to this, 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 this habit, and I'm just never, it's just my, it's just, that's the way I am. You know what you're doing when you're doing that? You're actually elevating your reasoning above the Word of God. You think you're cleverer than God. God said you're free. You said, no, I'm stuck. That's pride. That's me leaning on my own understanding. And Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. He will show you how to get out of that, how to, how to, how to grow beyond that. Titus 2, 11 to 12. I'm reading some scriptures today that are not on the screen. Um, and because there were going to be a lot of scriptures on the screen, I didn't want to bring confusion. But I'm going to mention these scriptures because they prove the point, and then later you can go, if you have notes, write down the reference and go and study them. It says, For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, training us, showing us how, teaching us that we can renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and shows us how to live 
self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Isn't it amazing? The grace of God, the power that it makes available to us. Here's another scripture verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. God's grace saves us from our sin. It enables us to overcome it. It transforms us. You know, when you've worked outside all day and you're sweating and you've been, you know, maybe in, in, in the woods or whatnot and there's just, you know, it's just grut and, and dirt all over you and you feel the dirt on you. Now, religion says to you, hey man, go and get clean clothes on. So you put the clean clothes on. Do you feel clean? No. No. You don't feel clean. You still feel the itch of that, you know, wood dust in your, in your, in your shirt. You, you're still uncomfortable. And so you try to, no, man, this shit, what, this, this, this shit, let me, let me put a better shirt on. Still, still, still. What do you need to go do? Take a shower, hello? Right? It's the difference between trying to cover up versus solving our issue. Um, let me talk about pride for a second. Because in a religious system, pride is, is very prevalent. Because I'm always trying to prove myself. I'm always trying to show that I'm okay and that I have become better. And we know that we're suffering from this sin called pride if we're too scared to admit that we need help in things. Like it's so often when, you know, we've been in church for a while and we've gone through some things, maybe, you know, we've attended freedom or we've, you know, been in life group for a season or so, and then we fall into some form of struggle for us to think, oh my goodness, I can't go and admit now that I'm struggling. I've already done freedom. I'm supposed to be over this. I can't be asking for help with my marriage, man. I just got married. I just had this amazing experience with Jesus Christ and I testified about it in church and now I feel depressed. Man, I can't, I can't go and say that. We try to cover up what's really going on, put up a brave face and show up to church trying to show everybody, hey, we're good. How you doing? I'm fine. It's all good. Where well, we should have actually gone and said, hey, <laughs> I'm confused. Because it went good yesterday, but today it's not going good. What's up with that? But because pride sets in when we're trying to prove ourselves, it prevents us from being able to operate in grace, have the ability to expose that and get help. Sometimes we over-spiritualize these things when we're prideful. We go, hey, you know, praise the Lord, brother. You know, Hallelujah. And we know all these Christian jargon and phrases to just show everybody that, you know, we're doing, we're blessed and highly favored of the Lord. You know, I'm trying to put on my American accent there. 
But it's, but it's, actually, it's actually pride. It's actually me hiding the fact that I am struggling maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. Maybe something happened that I didn't understand. I'm confused. Sometimes we say things like, I don't need help from anybody. Well, that's pride. Masquerading is confidence. It's not true confidence. It's fooling ourselves. Sometimes we say, well, I don't need the church anymore. I can be a Christian without the church. I've grown to the point where I'm, I'm able to stand by myself. Well, that's pride masquerading as maturity. It ain't real maturity at all. Because true maturity knows my limits. It knows how I am actually supposed to be in communion with other men. And, women, and it has humility enough to say, hey, man, I'm not doing that great right now. Can I just have, a, can I have help? The grace of God enables us to shout help. The grace of God puts you in a place where you can admit weakness, not be judged for it. Or you can admit mistakes and not be in trouble for it. But get help. The grace of God enables us to break out of this system where I had to prove myself, where I had to work hard, and puts me in a place where I can live in rest and have the joy of the Lord. Here's another way we try to hide the fact that we're prideful. We try to control things around us so everything just looks right and nothing makes me look bad. I, I, I see that in my own life with my kids. It's like often when I get into, into places and my kids are there, I have that thought in my mind, man, these kids better behave. Because <laughs> you know what? You're a pastor, right? And people are going to say, these, this pastor's kids are out of control. <laughs> Wasn't there that requirement for eldership that they need to manage the house as well? People are watching. I need to keep up appearances. I need to... So what do I do? When my kids act out, and if I believe that lie that I need to perform before you guys... If I believe, I shut them down. Boom. Shush. Sit. Or that's it. <laughs> you're, you're done. And I show a completely disproportionate response to training them how to, you know, be respectful, to training them how to Allowing them to have mistakes, mess up, stand up, show them what a better way. No, I go like, man, you can't make me look bad. I need, to, I need to control you. Sometimes as leaders, when our teams don't operate the way we hope they would, we start blaming other people. It's never my mistake. It's never me. It's always them. I'm the victim here. They didn't do their job. Making excuses. Always making excuses. Shows that there's something on the inside that's not right. If you have a lot of burnt bridges behind you, it might just be that there is some pride in your life that you need to deal with. Here's the hardest one. If you need to remind somebody that you're the leader... You're operating from 
a system of performance and pride. How many times have you had to tell your wife, hey, I'm the man of the house? <laughs> it might just be that your marriage is based on performance and religion. Because if the grace of God is leading us, we find ourselves able to rest. I don't have to fight for myself. I don't have to prove myself. God will deal with whatever situation I'm facing. I can continue to serve. I can continue to love. And I can continue to encourage and train. Maybe I'll add one last one. If everything has to be done your way, <laughs> and if you take exception if your ideas or way of doing things isn't incorporated into whatever happens, it's a, it's a remnant. Because you think that my idea makes me valuable. And you have an identity issue, an insecurity issue, because you're still trying to perform your way into the good books of God. And you have not rested from having to perform. God wants us to step into a place where we don't have to look at other people and compare ourselves to them. We don't have to feel inferior to anybody, no matter where they're at in their, in their walk with God. We can rest and enjoy God and have a joyful, peaceful life wherein we're just figuring things out with Jesus and we're just walking and enjoying Jesus Christ. Can I, can I mess us up a little more? Yes. All right. Let's talk about fake humility. This one's going to hurt. It hurts me. <laughs> If you're constantly talking down to yourself, feeling sorry for yourself, playing the victim, you're not being humble. You're showing a fake humility. Because in actual fact, you're denying who Christ has made you. Because he didn't make you to be a doormat. He didn't... He didn't call you into a relationship with him to make you suffer and sacrifice the whole time. It's a fake humility. If you often have to manipulate people through emotions, it's a fake humility. It's a fake humility. Fake humility also looks like this. Man, I'll never be able to break free from this thing. We spoke about that earlier. It's just that this is just the cross I must bear. Now, here's the truth. True humility doesn't mean that we're hooked on addictions, suffering, self-punishment, weakness, traditions, being a punching bag, or a doormat. It's neither pride to recognize our strengths nor humility to demean them. False, false humility keeps us in darkness, and it prevents us from stepping into a life of joy and overflow that God intended for us. 
The good news of today is that the gospel not only unchains us from religion and sin, it hooks us to Jesus. It hooks us to the kingdom of God. Here's what Romans 4.14 says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, eating and drinking refers to all the religious ordinances that people had to observe in order to gain absolution for their sin. But the, the sad thing about it is that the Bible says that, that those actions could never satisfy them because the blood of animals could not remove sin. It was, a, it was a futile exercise. But the kingdom of God is not about that constant performance, constant sacrifice, constant giving up my identity, my true freedom, and keeping myself in that system of having to work to be accepted by God. It's not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does righteousness mean? Well, righteousness means you can rest in your relationship with God. He has accepted you fully. He has taken you into his family as his own, and you don't have to do anything to prove that again. Because of your faith and because of how grace operates, you've been included. That means you don't have to perform to compete with other people. It means that if somebody is blessed, you can rejoice with them because you know that you are also blessed and accepted. It puts us in a place where there's no competition among us. We can love each other freely. I don't feel insecure with anybody. I can celebrate who they are and what they're going through. And at the same time, I can feel celebrated. I can feel valued and accepted. So this verse here talks about um, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Previously, we talked about glory. Remember when we talked about the glory of the old system? 2 Corinthians 3 says, For there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation. Religion. Having to perform for my acceptance by God. It made me at least strive to be good. There was a glory in that system. But the best glory, the best standard that that could make me aspire to was constant working and striving and competing. Now this verse says, indeed this is the case, but once, what once had glory has now come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. When Jesus Christ included you in his family by grace, he gave you a glory that surpasses that of the previous system in its entirety, and that is that now you have been accepted based on Jesus' work, not on your own, and there is no work left for you to do in order to get accepted. That is an entirely different standard. It's an entirely different existence. And you've been included in that in the beloved. See, the highest standard that abiding the law could produce was striving, performance, but still condemnation. And if you're experiencing condemnation when you miss it, it means that there is still effects of religion in your heart and mind. 
Because the Bible declares that there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this standard. Let's talk about what it means to live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number one, we have, to believe, we have to understand that there is no middle ground. The Bible says that we have passed from death to life. Death to life. There's no zombie phase. There's no zombie phase. The zombie phase is where we're trying to, um, trying to appropriate this, but with our own goodness. And, 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 and yes, we find ourselves in a place where we're still struggling with certain patterns of sin and certain things in our lives, but the truth is that we've passed over. And that it's not up to my performance and striving to overcome those things. It's up to me resting in what Jesus had done for me and to take that on me as the new standard of who I am, not who I'm meant to become. And as I understand now who I am, I'm able to live differently. Because my identity has changed. I no longer see myself as a sinner. I see myself as righteous. I don't see myself as a slave. I see myself as redeemed. And because I don't have the, the need to perform, I can look to the vision of Jesus and ask, where is he leading me? But doesn't the Bible say somewhere that we need to work, out, work at our salvation with fear and trembling? Because I know often we think about that and we say, yeah, yeah, I need to work at my salvation. No, no, no. It's very clear. The Bible says you need to work out your salvation. That means you need to accept what you have received and you need to start applying it to all of your life. You need to say, hey, yes, I'm still stuck in this addiction, but you know what? God has freed me. I'm not going to accept a lie that says to me that, hey, you're not free yet. You are free. Appropriate it. Apply it. Take the plunge. Try it out. Fight for it. Take it and live it. That character flow in me, I'm never going to change. I'm just that kind of person. You know, I don't, I don't have grace for people. No, you do because you have grace living inside of you. And if you just accept the new you, who you have become, not who you're trying to become, who you have become, all of a sudden your new nature starts dictating your actions and not your old nature any longer. It leads us to a place where we realize that the vision of Jesus is the standard of God for our lives. It's the glory of God. Jesus was God's glory manifest to us. And that gives us a picture of what we're living towards, what we've been received, and what we need to work into our lives. So yes, we do ask ourselves, what glorifies God? What brings God glory? And that does result in us living differently, overcoming sin, overcoming moral issues, overcoming character flaws, but it's not because we're trying to prove ourselves. It's because we've understood that we have been approved and we can now live that out through everything we do. And lastly, Psalm 110 says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Delight in obeying His commands. It's as we strive towards the vision of Jesus where there's no condemnation. 
I'm not trying to perform. I am resting in what he has done for me, and I'm applying that to my life that we really get to a place of living in righteousness, living our best summer ever, living from a place of rest. And that's my prayer for us, is that we will not have this mindset that we need to try and perform to make other people think that we're good or to try and please God, but that we will live in truth. And that means I understand that I am valuable, I am accepted, I'm redeemed, not because of what i done or what I do or what I bring, but because of who He is and what He has done. And that enables us to really have a, a life of rest and freedom and forgiveness to other people and grace for the people that we walk with, grace for ourselves. To be hooked on Jesus, to let go of all these effects that a religious mindset has on us and to accept the standard of rest and joy and peace as my own. This is what I have received. I don't have to work for it and to apply that in my life. My prayer for us is that as we consider these things today, we will learn to reject every time we see ourselves working, thinking, fixing to do stuff that is based on a system where I am having to prove myself, any insecurity that arises, any pride that arises, and that I will switch to allowing the rest of Jesus to dictate where I'm aiming, where I'm going, what I am striving towards in Christ. Let's all stand. I want us to, I want us to pray a prayer that, that commits to this. And if you in your heart has, has found that some of these things that we mentioned today has been relevant to you, a pattern in your life, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. And essentially, we're going to decide to give up on religion today. We're going to receive His rest. And then we're going to commit to walk away from sin and in humility follow His ways. And if you want to be included in that prayer, I invite you to pray out loud with me. Because we're going to make a commitment to God to no longer allow the religion of Christianity to make us tired, angry, prideful, resentful people, but to make us humble, love-filled, joyful, peaceful people that has grace for everybody around us as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I reject the system of religion that says to me, I must perform to be accepted by you, to get my prayers answered, or to have intimacy with you. Father, I accept your grace as sufficient. Thank you that you've accepted me and you've given me a new vision, a vision of rest, of peace, and of joy. And I commit to work that into my life and to my relationships. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, 
if you've never started this relationship that kicks you off in this relationship, this grace-filled existence, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So I'm going to count to three, and I want you to shoot up your hand, and I will lead you in a prayer that is going to introduce you into a relationship with Jesus Christ today that will transform you from having to perform to please Him to stepping into the rest of knowing that He has accepted you. If you want to be included in that prayer, why don't you lift your hand? One, two, three. Just lift it up right there. Thank you. Thank you. I see a couple of hands. Two, three hands. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else would like to be included in this prayer? Can we support them and pray this prayer of, of, of dedication to God together? Let's all close our eyes and let's just thank God for this. Say with me, Father God, I admit that I cannot perform enough to, to, uh, to, um, to deserve your salvation. But today I put my faith in Jesus and the work he did on the cross. Thank you that that transforms me today from death to life, from performance to rest, and from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Thank you that I can call you my father today. In Jesus' name.